Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Okay. This is going to be a special mini-sode because I just heard that Mo has to pee. And I said, do you want, do you want to go to the bathroom before? And she said, no. Mm-hmm. That never happens. She's always like, I better pee first. So that means that she's feeling the thunder. Yeah. Well, and also, she's bringing it to you right now. I just peed 30 minutes ago and I feel a little embarrassed to go pee again. So I'm going to give it at least an hour before I subject myself to another urination session. Yeah. I would definitely like humiliate you. Yeah. If you did it, if you peed again. Well, it's mostly, time. yeah, I just don't like to be alone with my thoughts for that long. Amen. It's, it's too horrifying. Yep. The 25 seconds it takes to sit down and pee and... Mm-hmm. Too much. Is that enough time? I know girls take longer to pee because they have to sit down and right. stuff. Right, yeah. Is 25 seconds a good amount of time to pee? Probably, yeah, for certain pees. Don't get me started on, on the number two, though. Oh, number two. that you. I, I actually I, shriek. You shriek? Yeah, because it's just too much time for my brain to handle. Oh, I, I thought because it hurts for you to defecate. Oh, well, that as well. Should... I have so many hemorrhoids. Oh, man. Join the club. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for joining in on another mini-sode. I am Mo. And I'm Jeremy. And since you heard Jeremy talk last time, (laughs) uh, it's my turn. So, are you a woman? Yes. Living in the 1940s? I can be whatever you want me to be. Are you anxious? Yes. Are you depressed? Hell yeah. Are you just trying to live with your fucking husband who's a piece of shit? Preach. Then you probably had a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> what a setup. So, yeah, this episode's going to be all about lobotomies. Mm. And I don't know. I've, I've always been interested by lobotomies. What happens when you get one? Other than, like, taking an ice pick to the brain. Like, what is it? What is it for? I believe it's to make you better. Yeah. If the doctors of the last several centuries have been telling the truth, lobotomies are for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And they make people less difficult (laughs) i'm definitely on team lobotomy uh so just for my medical brain i like to dissect medical words you just use the word brain and dissect when talking about lobotomy was that on purpose wow so lob like l-o-b yeah like stands stands for lobe right and tomi means the act of cutting or an incision so together lobotomy lobotomy means cutting of a lobe yeah and in this case your brain a lobe of your brain so just to kind of go over the basics of what a lobotomy is it's a neurosurgical procedure that severs connections in the prefrontal cortex Mm. your frontal lobe is what's by your forehead so they're basically making cuts into that section of your brain and the connections it has to other areas of your brain This procedure was done for about two decades as a treatment for various mental illnesses, but most notably for schizophrenia, manic depression, bipolar disorder, and a few other things like anxiety and depression. Hmm. Now we know that the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex is responsible for things like personality, cognitive behavior, decision making, and moderating social behavior. Well, who needs those? Yeah, right? Those are just excess. We can trim those off. (laughs) No problem. So the frontal cortex, as you can imagine, is really what kind of makes a person a person. Yeah. So back then, when this was done, it was done mainly in like the 1930s, 1950s. 
But at this point in time, the brain was still largely a mystery. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole lot that we could do to really test it other than like hacking away at people's brains and seeing what happens to them. Oh, that was a disaster, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Just a bunch of meatloaf. What the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah, so the act of a lobotomy is purposefully damaging brain tissue and oftentimes removing parts of the brain and leaving holes in order to treat the mental illness. Back then, they thought that mental illnesses were due to brain connections. So if you could damage those connections, you would stop the bad behavior. Yeah. So if the whole cause of your schizophrenia was your frontal lobe, well, if we just like disconnect your frontal lobe, you should be cured of your schizophrenia. Right. That was the hope. It was more of a last-ditch effort to treat people with mental illness because back then there really was no good treatment. Mm -hmm. You had, like, electroshock therapy and things like that. Both very barbaric. Very, yeah, just wild. Yeah. Why people would think this would even do anything. But back then you didn't really know. So you just kind of had to fuck around with people's bodies and hope you didn't kill them. Lobotomy to me just feels like when the check engine light's on in your car so you put a piece of tape over it. Mm -hmm. Or like if you have a cut on your finger so you cut the finger off. Yeah, right. And you can imagine too, asylums were overflowing with people getting admitted for really anything and everything. Um, Even teenagers, you know, who were wryly and weren't really listening to their parents, they could often find themselves in asylums as well. They were thought to have mental illnesses just because they were unruly. Well, you know, the term bedlam, like, oh, it's bedlam in there. Yeah. It's actually based off of an asylum, I think, in Europe, maybe England. It was so overflowing with mental patients Mm -hmm. that they kind of had the run of the place and it was an absolute madhouse. And that's a common theme, too, with all these asylums. They just have so many patients and people were just getting desperate for really anything that really does any good at all. Right. There There was no they didn't know what to do. Like so people would be like. I can't handle this person, this family member, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's put them into an asylum. And right. the asylum workers say, we have no real way to treat this person. Let's try to get this problem off our hands. Shock them with electricity yeah. or like drill into their brain so they become manageable. Right, definitely. Interesting statistic that I found was that a majority of lobotomies were performed on women who were found unruly or like irritable or, you know, emotional. I believe it. Yeah. For example, in Ontario, Canada, 74% of lobotomies were performed on women. What the hell? Which is so fucked up to think about. That's probably a pretty good model for everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. But I think that it kind of follows the rhetoric of women being more emotional and hard to handle. Hysterical. Hysterical Mm -hmm. and hard to deal with. You know, women wanted their freedom where men wanted to suppress them. This is very generalized, of course, but when they're hard to deal with, what do you do? Right. I guess I'll just shove them in an asylum so I don't have to deal with them and maybe I can go find somebody else. Yep. You know, oh, what am I going to do? My wife was crazy and everyone pities you and oh, that's that's so hard. You know, that's women. So just to give you a history of how lobotomies came into the medical field, doctors first started manipulating the brain in order to calm patients in 1880s. I don't trust what they're doing then. So I'm going to pronounce this so wrong. Dr. Bookhart removed parts of the prefrontal cortex of six patients who had hallucinations and schizophrenia, noting that removal made them calm. So this is the first example of this kind of procedure being done, kind of messing with the brain in order to calm patients down with mental illness. He claimed to have a 50% success rate. That's terrible. Yeah, out of the six. um, (laughs) uh, One person died after the procedure. Another committed suicide afterwards. Some had no changes. He said some got quieter and one person improved. 
Hell yeah. That's all I need to hear. Yeah, 50% success. And he like was, this is it. This is the next step in this medicine. This is my thesis. This is what I'm all about. <laughs> my legacy. <laughs> so another doctor, Agas Moynez, invented the lobotomy in 1935. And he got the Nobel Prize for it as well. After seeing the, the Nobel Prize? Yeah, he got a Nobel Prize for it. Did they take it away afterwards? No. You get to keep it. <laughs> Sorry, you're a no horrible backs. person, but no takesy-backsies. No takesy-backsies. <laughs> my word. Yeah, so he got the Nobel Prize after inventing the lobotomy in 1935. But a lot of his inspiration came from... Came from murder. <laughs> yeah. I was inspired when I saw that murder a man. And he didn't die all the way. But a lot of the inspiration came from the Yale neuroscientist John Fulton and Carlisle Jacobson's experiments in 1935. The two Yale scientists removed the frontal lobes of chimps. They targeted that lobe because they thought it had something to do with controlling behavior and personality. And these chimps were very unruly, especially the female. They made note the female would throw temper tantrums and like rubber shit all over things. Mm -hmm. Just like human women. Yeah, just like human women. They stated that after removing the frontal lobes, it made the chimps calm and they joined a happiness cult. What does that mean? That's horrifying. They just got really happy afterwards. That's terrifying. Moynias attended a conference where they presented their research and experiments. So Moynias saw this and obviously his first thought was, oh, can we do this in humans? And Which he, shouldn't be. I don't know if that should be your first thought all the time. With right. Things. And he asked the scientists, I guess, in a question panel, like, hey, do you ever think about doing this on humans? Yeah. And they were horrified. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. We're, yeah. gonna, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and he's like, well, if you aren't, then I am. Again, not the response you should have. He says later, like, I got no inspiration from them. I came up with it all on my own. Oh, yeah. Three months later, after that conference, he decided to actually start doing it himself. So... Didn't get inspiration from them, my ass. So the first procedures of the lobotomies were done by Moynez and his assistant, and they would cut holes in the skull. You know, you have to shave their head. They have to, like, crack open their skull and inject ethanol into the brain to destroy the brain fibers that connected the frontal lobe to other parts of the brain. Can you imagine, like, what that experience is like for the person getting it? Like, what would that feel like to slowly lose your brain? Yeah, I imagine it would feel cold. At first, because it's ethanol. He did those kind of procedures with the ethanol for, I think, like six or nine patients. And he ended up adopting a different technique where he made his own tool called the leukotome tool. It was long in like a cylinder and it had a wire loop on one end. So if you know what a curette is, kind of like a curette. What's a curette? It's like a circle knife, kind of. Okay. Just has a wire loop on one end. So when you rotate it, it would create a circular lesion or hole in the brain. Like a scooper. Yeah, like a scooper. So you're kind of scooping pieces of Uh. the brain out. And if he wasn't satisfied with the results, sometimes he would do this multiple times until he was satisfied that the patient was calm enough. (laughs) That's the more... Oh, my God. So he claimed that these patients that he did this on were cured of their mental illness Although they never left the mental hospitals that they were staying at. No, they want to be here. They like it here. They like it here so much. They made friends. Yeah. You're going to rip them away from their friends? No. Uh, were you a monster? <laughs> yeah, what are you? I just cut into people's brains for fun. 
This spiraled into two American doctors named Walter Freeman and James Watts adapting their own technique to yield the Freeman-Watts technique. So they're the ones that came up with the transorbital lobotomy that was developed in 1945. And basically, they used an instrument called an orbitoclast, orbitoclast, which is basically like an ice pick. Yeah. I've seen pictures of this. Mm -hmm. It's like almost literally just an ice pick. Yeah, he just wanted to use an ice pick. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hey. (laughs) I guess I got to make this medical. (laughs) Uh, And the physician would lift up the eyelid and stick the tool in the eye socket and would use a hammer to rupture the bone and stick it into the brain. They would then move the instrument side to side to separate the frontal lobes from the thalamus, which receives and relays sensory input. So this would be done on both sides, in both eye sockets, and the patient was awake during this procedure. They Mm -hmm. were just like sedated so they could see how the patient reacts to the procedure while they're doing it, Yeah, essentially. So Freeman believed in this so much that he actually traveled the country performing multiple lobotomies a day. Another doctor quoted at the time, he did this for way too long. He said that he was very much like a showman. He enjoyed it. He thought he Mm -hmm. really thought he was doing something incredible. Yeah, he, he definitely thought he was like a revolutionary. This invention of orbital lobotomies allowed for a lot of smaller clinics and asylums to do this procedure because you didn't need a surgeon or operating room or other like medical staff at the asylum in order to perform it anymore because before you would have to drill holes or make cuts into the skull. And this way you don't have to. All you need is an ice pick and a hammer and there you go. And wasn't it like a a walk-in, walk-out scenario where you just go into his office like not even an hour? Right. Boom, boom. Okay. There you go. Come pick up your son. Mm -hmm. Which is alarming because if you're fucking with somebody's brain, you would think they would want to take their time with it. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just trust doctors, especially then. You sort of, he knows what he's doing. And especially if he's believing in it so much and he's promising like, oh, you know, they're going to be completely cured. This thing that has been haunting you for years and you're at your wit's end, I'll do it in 30 minutes. No problem, yeah. 100%, they're cured. How do you not give in to that idea? Right, yeah. You know, if you have this 30-year-old child who's still acting out this way, you're going to be hopeful Obviously. Well, well, in some cases, I know with him, like actual children, mm-hmm. little boys and girls that were like probably bipolar or maybe just extra ADD, ADHD, right. people that were just difficult or, you know, right. more rambunctious, more whatever. Yeah. And some people are just like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they grow out of it You're as right. they mature. That's what's so tragic about the idea of him doing that to younger people, mm-hmm. you know. Let them mature. Let them become adults first. Their brain isn't even done developing yet. Yeah. Uh, It's very dark. Yeah. The effects of lobotomies varied a bit. There are around 50,000 that were performed in the United States. And Freeman is estimated to have done between 3,500 and 5,000 of those procedures. Which, like, if you think about it, it's like 10%. He's stuck an ice pick into a lot of eyeballs. That's fucked. So while a small percentage supposedly got better or they just kind of stayed the same. Yeah. For many people, it caused a lot of negative effects on personality, Mm -hmm. initiative, inhibitions, empathy, and the ability to function on their own. So a big long-term side effect of this was mental dullness. They completely lost their personalities, so Mm -hmm. they became like a husk. Very flat. Of who they were before, exactly. They were unable to put themselves in the position of others due to decreased cognition and detachment from society. So like that, putting yourself in other people's shoes, they completely Mm -hmm. 
lost that ability because they weren't able to look at society or look at other people anymore. Right. You kind of turn them into a low-level zombie. Right. Immediately after surgery, many lacked consciousness, so they were only able to respond to pain, and they were confused and incontinent. So a lot of them weren't able to, like, use the restroom anymore. They just completely lost that ability. Man. And some developed enormous appetites and gained considerable weight because they lacked the inhibition. Oh, of, sure. Like, their brain. They, they weren't able to control their... Self-control. Yeah. They didn't have any self-control anymore. And seizures were also very common, which you can expect. Yeah, neurological disturbance. Brain stuff. Brain stuff, Yeah. So Walter Freeman, the guy who invented the transorbital lobotomy, coined the term surgically induced childhood. Ew. If that that's doesn't a, that's like, a very disturbing give you goosebumps, term. fuck. Like he knew. That's what's so fucked about it. He said that he used it constantly, that term, surgically induced childhood, a lot in terms of the results of the lobotomy. It supposedly left people with an infantile personality, which he claimed a period of maturation, like maturity, would then lead to recovery. So he's like, okay. don't don't worry if they're acting like children, they'll mature. Yeah. And then they'll be cured. They're fine. Which it didn't happen. I'm sure it didn't. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so Freeman once described a 29-year-old who underwent the procedure as smiling, lazy, and satisfactory patient <laughs> with the personality of an oyster. Jesus. She apparently could not remember Freeman's name and endlessly poured coffee from an empty pot. Oh, so he just ruined her. Yeah, just completely fucked her brain. It upsets me. I hate the idea of body horror. Lobotomies I find super upsetting because the idea of wasting like human potential is right. really upsetting to me. Just because they were difficult. Right. And it's such a permanent thing, lobotomies. Like right. you can't undo that. Like, okay, a person's difficult, but why are they being difficult? Right. Is it them or is it you? I think you should try everything humanly possible for drilling into their brain. Right. I think for all scenarios. Yeah, and I guess like her parents found that girl um really difficult, the one who poured an empty coffee pot yeah. earlier. The oyster girl. Oyster girl, yeah. Um, her parents still found her really difficult to deal with, and Dr. Freeman suggested a reward system for her. So, like, rewarding oh, her God. with ice cream and punishing her with hitting her. What? Okay. <laughs> that was his uh, solution to that. A real scholar. Right. So, at the time, there were hundreds of thousands of mental institutions, like I said, that were really overcrowded and chaotic. And by giving unruly patients lobotomies, they were able to maintain the control of the institution and the patients. They didn't really care what happened to them no. because they had so many patients to worry about. Yeah, they just mainly... crowd control at that point. Yeah. Sedate them, keep them slow. Mm -hmm, exactly. The practice didn't start to die away until the 1950s as medication began being used which was a lot more effective. So like sure. antidepressants and like SSRIs and things of that nature were a lot easier to tailor it to the patient based on the condition. So I'll kind of go into some more famous cases of people who had lobotomies and references to lobotomies. So have you ever watched the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, I love that movie. I love that movie too. It's such a good movie. It was also a book that came out in 1962. The movie's from 1975. In that movie, it shows a rambunctious but sane man living within a mental hospital. And they decide to do a lobotomy on him because he's unruly. Yeah. Well, again, in the movie, though, he fakes mental illness because he doesn't want to go to jail. Everyone there is very zombie because they're on these pills and they're all suffering from different mental illnesses. They're all illnesses. very quirky. Yeah. 
And so he sort of gets them riled up because he treats them like actual humans. Mm -hmm. And so the nurse Ratchet, which is like the evil nurse in the movie, and she doesn't like him because she doesn't like that he's ruining her perfect little system of keeping people drugged up. Right. And so she calls for him to get a lobotomy. And then at the end, he's like, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Good movie still. If you haven't seen it, definitely it check out it out. It came out in 1975. So if you haven't seen it by now. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. You should see it, though. It's still a very good movie. But one doctor quoted it as being disturbingly real. Mm, really? Which is uh, Another really popular one is Rosemary Kennedy, which yes, is I, yes. John this is F- very upsetting. Yeah. John F. Kennedy's sister. Mm-hmm. Rosemary Kennedy was the oldest daughter to Joseph Kennedy Sr. and Rose Kennedy. Rosemary suffered from seizures and violent mood swings. They basically described her as just being temperamental and emotional, probably bipolar, an epileptic. So Kennedy's father arranged for a lobotomy to be done in 1941 when she was 23 years old. Yep. The procedure failed, leaving Rosemary permanently incapacitated and rendering her unable to speak. And she also became incontinent. They really did number on her. And she wasn't like, again, she like was not unmanageable Mm -hmm. for the most part. Joe Kennedy was a politician and um, a very esteemed man, and he feared that his daughter's rowdiness would impact the family Right. His whole reputation. thing was the image. Yeah. His sons, you know, John and, was it Joe or something? Joe Jr., John, Robert. Robert, Ted. Ted. And then two other daughters? Maybe. Yeah. But they all were very involved in politics. Like they yeah, they were, were all they politicians. Were s- senators and... His fear was that, you know, having the sister would tarnish their reputation and her being like 23 years of age, it's kind of harder to tell a 23-year-old what to do. And he was just kind of like, I can't let her ruin all of my family's career prospects. Up. Right. Because her family in the beginning said that she had been retarded. Yeah. But a lot of doctors, I guess, disputed that claim and said that she was a fully functioning person. She kept her own diary and had an active social life. And Joseph, her father, was told that having this lobotomy done would basically like calm her down, help with her mood swings. Right. And he did it without the wife's knowledge. Oh, my God. So she didn't know until afterwards that she had a lobotomy done. He had mutilated his daughter's brain. Yeah. So she had the infantile personality basically lost all function to be a person and afterwards a lot of the people said that she would just kind of stare blankly at walls for hours wow which is horrible to think about yeah especially somebody who had just previously been so full of life Mm -hmm. in 1949 so that would be eight years after the lobotomy she was moved to an institution and she was visited regularly by one of her sisters it was like the family secret right and like even the siblings didn't know They didn't find out until later. After it happened, yeah. So her sister, Eunice Kennedy, actually became the founder of the Special Olympics, which I thought was interesting. Mm. She was probably really upset about what happened. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, I guess. During the procedure, Rosemary was awake, and it was Dr. Freeman that actually did the procedure on her. Oh. And he asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America or Count Backwards in order to estimate how far to cut when she responded. So when she became incoherent, he stopped the procedure. Ugh, I could have gone a while without hearing that. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so dark. Yeah. Do you know what year she died? She eventually ended up dying in 2005 at the age of 86. That's wild. Yeah, she was the fifth of the Kennedy children to die. 
but was the first to die from natural causes. That's such poetic justice. Right. You got Okay, so the first son, Joe, died in World War II. Mm-hmm. And then JFK obviously was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. I think uh, the father, Joe Sr., had a stroke sometime in the 60s mm-hmm. and was bound to a wheelchair, couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. Like, they all sort of, it, it's just so ironic that this person that was sort of damned to be this vegetable right. manages to get out of it unscathed in terms of being one of the last Kennedy children to die. And it's like horrifying to think about if he had just waited like 10 years, she could have been treated and fine. Yeah. I mean, if he just not drilled into her brain. Right. And the medications became yeah. more popular. Like if he had just waited. If he had just uh, talked to his wife about it, I guarantee yeah, you. Right. Exactly. His wife definitely would not have. It's just like so gross. I have one more case if you'd like to hear it. Um, it's a shorter one. But Howard Dudley was the youngest to ever get the procedure at age 12 oh. by Dr. Freeman. So this story was actually featured on NPR because he wrote a memoir later in life. He kind of came to the conclusion that what was done to him was a lobotomy. Oh, so he, okay, wow. Yeah, so he, after the lobotomy, he had a lot of like memory issues and things like that. So he actually had like a team of people help him uncover what had happened wow because he like he had these memories of like something happening but he didn't know exactly what it was so back when he was treated he was diagnosed with schizophrenia by dr freeman although no other doctors found any psychological issues with him Mm. other than being like a child his stepmother described him as unbelievably defiant saying (laughs) that (laughs) yeah i get this he objected to going to bed and excessively daydreamed Oh, my God. How did she cope? How did she cope with that monster of a child? There's absolutely no other steps we could take before taking an ice pick between his eyes. But it's also, like, her stepkid. So, in a way, I... She probably didn't like him for that reason as well. Right. So, Freeman basically heard all of her complaints and was like, listen, you can change his entire personality with a lobotomy if he's being like too difficult for you. And she's like, you know, yeah, great, whatever. So they ended up doing the lobotomy when he was 12 years old and the after effects were pretty horrible for him. He was still able to function relatively normally, but it did take him decades to recover. He was institutionalized. He was incarcerated homeless for a while and became an alcoholic so he definitely had a rough time yeah, afterwards that just totally ruins your foundation cognitively yeah all of his cognitive abilities were basically shut down and what are you going to do like what are you going to do at that point you know are people going to want to hire you and you already, you already don't have a very supportive family because they're like, let's put an ice yeah. pick in your brain. Yeah. All these people around you are seemingly fully functioning and you you know that you just cannot be. So whew, that's a messed up story too. But Dr. Freeman, I guess there is some kind of good poetic justice. He ends up getting outed and basically he does one last lobotomy on a woman and ruptures a bunch of her blood vessels and she dies so he was forced to retire and basically was shamed well now he's remembered as this really horrific monstrous his his legacy is terrible which i guess is the most we get i'd prefer to see him you know uh maimed (laughs) maimed i was gonna say go to jail go to the gallows go to the gallows yeah what goes around comes around Sorry, Freeman. Don't stick things where people don't want them. That's the lesson here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Consent is important, even when it comes to brain play. Brain play, the kinkiest of plays. (laughs) Yeah. 
You can't get much deeper than the brain. Beg to differ. <laughs> uh, so if you guys did enjoy listening to... Uh, I don't know if that's the right word. If you guys uh, were interested... <laughs> by this disgusting topic. By this topic, uh, be sure to let me know if you have any other suggestions or ideas for topics. You can let me know at our email at according to an idiot at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Facebook at According to an Idiot, and we have a Twitter at Idiots Accord. If you would like, you can also leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. If you did enjoy it, just let us know. If you didn't, that's fine too. We'll still read them all on our full-length episodes. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you in time. Ooh.